Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains... I am going to have to ask you to watch your language when you're representing the suit. Oh, watch your language, Mr. Dirty Mouth. Watch your language, little lady. Watch your language, Dodge. You know how I hate that. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided to burn down the house just to get rid of the rats, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, December 16th, 2016, What's So Civil About War Anyway edition of the show, where we talk about the real presidential election of 2016. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Tom's Town Criers, making your message heard. Do you need important information distributed to your hamlet or village green? Tom's Town Criers gets the word out. No matter if it's a missive from the Court of St. James or a declaration of revolution from the Constitutional Congress, Tom's Town Criers will shout it out for all the year. Never let a proclamation or militia muster go unnoticed again. Tom's Town Criers, continuing an institution long past the point of relevance, just like the founders intended. Now there's another phrase I dearly love. That is a true oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Civil war. Do you think any country could really have a civil war? (laughs) Say, pardon me. (laughs) I'm awfully sorry. I'm awfully sorry. Now, of course, the Civil War has been over for about 120 years, but not so you'd really notice it. Because we still have these people called Civil War buffs. People who thought it was a really keen war. And they study the battles carefully, and they try to improve on the strategies and the tactics to increase the body count, in case we have to go through it again sometime. In fact, some of these people actually get dressed up in uniform once a year and go out and refight these battles. You know what I say? Use live ammunition, assholes, would you please? On Monday, December 19th, the actual presidential election will finally take place. I know a lot of Americans think it's over, but everything we've been through for the preceding 18 months was nothing more than dry humping your pillow. Outside of some major chafing, we were making good progress. In 50 state capitals, 538 presidential electors will gather and submit their choice for President of the United States of America. When they've completed their constitutional duty of invalidating the voice of the American people, Donald Trump will still not be the president-elect, officially. On December 28th, the president of the Senate must receive the votes from the electors, and when this happens... Donald Trump still will not be the president-elect of the United States, officially. Because on January 3rd of next year, the archivist and representatives from the Office of the Federal Register must then meet with the Secretary of Senate and the Clerk of the House for purely ceremonial purposes, meaning that even still, Donald Trump is not 
officially the president-elect. That will happen on January 6th of next year when the Congress meets in joint session to officially tally and accept or reject the votes of the Electoral College. If they do accept the votes, then Donald Trump officially becomes the president-elect if he's found to have 270 valid electoral votes. If they do not, or neither candidate receives the requisite number of 270 of electoral votes, the House of Representatives will choose the next president-elect with each state delegation receiving one vote decided upon by the majority of the sitting representatives chosen from the top three electoral vote recipients. Once this arcane and archaic procedure is completed, only then will someone presumably Donald Trump, actually be the president-elect of the United States of America. I'm so glad you asked. You see, despite what you might have been told over the preceding few weeks, the idiotic and pointlessly Baroque institution was not created as a hedge against tyranny. In fact, it was pretty much the opposite. No, that's just some shit Alexander Hamilton wrote to make it sound good in the Federalist Papers. You can't trust a fucking word comes out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, no, come on. The reason we have an electoral college is because certain states had populations that were largely comprised of non-voting persons in the form of immigrants involuntarily brought to the New World so they could work in a non-compensated agricultural enterprise. You mean slaves? Well, as they say in Virginia, you say tomato, I say tomato. You see, there was a few states who really wanted to count these slaves as populations, but... They didn't really want to deal with the nasty problem of counting them as actual human beings. So the Electoral College came out of a compromise that counted these folks as just, well, three-fifths of a human beings. And it gave said states with large populations of the aforementioned non-voting persons a bigger say in presidential elections when weighed against the free states. Such incredibly complex and flawed systems could only exist in a country founded on such a complex and flawed hypocrisy like a bunch of slave owners wanting to be free. This was a small group of unelected white male landholding slave owners who also suggested their class be the only one allowed to vote. Now that is what's known as being stunningly and embarrassingly full of shit. Now, for most of our history, this clunky, idiotic contraption did little more than rubber stamp the recipient of the popular vote and was largely ignored by everyone except the sort of people who like to masturbate to the Federalist Papers. In the history of the nation, a split only occurred twice up until the year 2000. Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden in 1876, and the compromise of that year is widely credited with averting a second civil war by largely undoing the accomplishments of the first one. And of course, who could forget Benjamin Harrison's electoral whomping of Super Grover Cleveland, which was immortalized in Disney's The One and Only Genuine Original Family Band. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The crux of that movie is framed around a family that's split apart between the Harrison-Cleveland Electoral College dispute. You learn so much by writing a podcast. Mostly that Buddy Epson is a gift that just keeps on giving. And of course, there was 2000, and we all know what happened there, at least those of us able to remember what life was like before Obama. 
And finally, this year. Whereas if this recording, Hillary Clinton leads in the popular vote by a shade over 2.8 million votes. Contrasting these two elections, Gore beat Bush by a mere half a million popular votes. And indeed, the real-life deciding factor in the three key swing states was by a margin of 77,000 votes spread out across three states. Or to put it another way, you could take all those people, put them in Lambeau Field, and there will still be plenty of seats left over on game day. Well, now, that is some fucked up shit. I really want you to think about those numbers as the world burns over the next four years, that your country was destroyed by a group smaller than Fort Smith, Arkansas. Go ahead. I'll wait while you Google that. Naturally, this has left some people rather upset, particularly when you couple it with information about an even smaller group of people having such an outsized impact on the election, and all of those people live in Russia. You might remember that hacking thing we were all talking about for about 37 seconds last fall when a lot of people who know things about things were saying that it looked an awful like like the Russians were messing around in our elections by hacking the DNC and the Clinton campaign. It seems they were also busy digging around in the RNC's digital trash, but they just sort of kept whatever they found there to themselves in an effort to make sure a certain puffy tangerine turd made it to the White House. And it further seems that a certain member of the Senate who strongly resembles a cartoon turtle from mid-century animated shorts made quite sure the issue over full disclosure of the information was never made public because, and I want to say that the hypocrisy is just dripping off of in here, it would unduly influence the election. This kid's got some set of balls All of this, along with so many other reasons has made a certain set of electors decide they cannot, in good conscience, vote for the aforementioned tangerine turd. They, furthermore, are actively lobbying other electors to refuse to cast their votes in accordance with their state's popular vote, but for another, more acceptable Republican. A Kasich, a Romney, a McCain. The logic being that no GOP elector is going to do something so crazy, so democratic, as to get their electoral vote to the candidate that most Americans want to be president. No, no, no. These Hamilton electors, named after a famous Broadway play, which is quite good at romanticizing Alexander Hamilton and less good at accurately capturing the historical truth of the man at the times, but still wrote some damn catchy songs. No, they are the largest group of the so-called faithless electors. Since 1836, when the entire Virginia delegation refused to cast their votes for one Richard Minter Johnson because, and this is so Virginia, it hurts, he was sexing it up with his slave, the octoroon Julia Chin. What the hell is wrong with people? Has a significant electors, group of electors gone faithless? There are allegedly a scattered handful of others that are making noises about not voting for Trump. A couple of them have resigned. But still, the total number of admitted faithless electors is way short of the 37 required to tip the balance and send the election to the House, where I should point out they will easily elect Donald Trump unless those faithless votes were given to Clinton. Now, the chances are very good even if they were given to Clinton. The House would refuse to accept them and then elect elect Trump anyway. And that's entirely constitutional. And I want to reinforce this because, again, your vote is utterly meaningless. Now, I want to state for the record, I am against the electors going faithless and throwing the election of the House or even giving it to Hillary Clinton. 
Granted, Trump will slowly drag the nation into a pit of despair and doom. He will gut our our environmental protections, destroy civil liberties, demean women, oppress minorities, and possibly get us into a nuclear war. But what would happen in the other situation is marginally worse. Civil war. Before you start rolling your eyes, I'm not talking about the kind of civil war where a bunch of states decide to leave the Union. We've been there, done that, and whipped their rebel asses all across the South. No, I'm talking about the kind of slow, roiling, internecine warfare we more usually associate with the Balkans in the 80s and the 90s, or Syria today. The sort of war where buildings are blown up by patriots on both sides. Nasty little conflicts claiming more and more lives until finally it just bursts through into full-on everybody-kill-everybody civil fucking war. Shit, we are talking, we're about two-thirds of the way right now. Half the country thinks the other half are traitors, and the only reason we aren't shooting at each other out in the hinterlands is by, by and large, not enough Democrats have guns, but that shit can change. It's hardly like one needs to present a membership card in the GOP or the NRA to obtain a firearm in America. The last time I checked, you could present a blockbuster card that expired in 1994's valid ID in most states and walk out a few minutes later with a shiny black AR-15 derivative. A caveman could do it. What? <laughs> oh, no. I, not cool. I did not no. know you were there. Yes. I didn't know I- Amongst a few of my lefty friends, there's been some quiet mutterings on this topic with people reaching out to red state liberals and libertarians inquiring about acquiring, as it were. I mean, all you need is a little money and to know which end of the thing to point at the enemy, and you got yourself a goddamn rebellion, my friends, and not the cool kind with lightsabers and Wookiees. Trust me, there are plenty of folks out in the hinterland who already know which the, which the shooty end is, and you can spot them by their Gadsden flags and a pinch on for occupying bird sanctuaries. But hey, let's game out this hypothetical electoral college revolt, shall we? Since all outcomes are equally improbable, meaning completely not probable at all, let's say 38 electors decided to switch their votes and give the election to the national popular vote winner. A few seconds later, the first angry flare occurs on Twitter where alt-right patriots stop jerking their puds in congratulations and then they start tweeting resist to one another, like liberals are doing now, except they actually mean it. 97% of these tweets are nothing more than angry ranting just like it is with liberals, but 3% of them are legitimate scary motherfucker with guns and bombs. They're already organized, connected, and very motivated, and they just found out their election was stolen from them. For years, I mean decades really, these meat-headed motherfuckers were told the New World Order plotted this all along, and now the UN tanks are rolling down the fucking main street of East Frogfuck, Arkansas. And while a little bird sanction in Oregon was kind of funny, wait till these fellows occupy a federal courthouse or some other equally symbolic target that can't be quarantined and ignored. The eventual shootout with federal law enforcement inspires the next wave, perhaps with a few bombs and a few federal office buildings, a la Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City. More arrests, more shootouts, more bombs, an escalating cycle of action and reaction that does not stop because more patriots are recruited from disaffected Trump voters who see their country as being stolen from them. At some point in time, President Clinton will be in for, will be forced to declare martial law in some small, limited area of some deep red state, and then... And you got a local National Guard commander tasked with imposing martial law on his neighborhood. He refuses the order, 
some backwoods lieutenant colonel with a hard-on for third-rate historical fiction and the Confederate flag, and now he's in charge of martial law in his own state. How's that going to sit with Lieutenant Colonel Clem of the Alabama National Guard when he has to fucking roll his APCs into Montgomery? Mm-hmm. It's going to go exactly how you think it's going to go. I doubt most of my liberal friends have ever seen a good old boy National Guardsman from south of the Mason-Dixon, but I have. Trust me, these boys are not going to have a real big problem deciding that this is an unlawful order. Now, you got to deploy the actual army because the only troops that have the kind of hardware to take on the national guard with their automatic weapons and armored vehicles and rocket launchers are active duty military so you've got dueling armored personnel character carriers in the streets helicopters circling a cordon of cable news ringing the site like an infected asshole. There are protesters in the streets and cities of towns across the country, firebombing, shootings, riots, lynching, looting, and we're talking civil disorder on the scale of human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. It will take weeks months to settle down the big flare-ups while the small ones smolder constantly in a tit-for-tat war raging across the country in acts of revenge. Now, I know some of you are saying, this crazy white boy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He's being hysterical. Yeah, you're right. That could never happen in America, like it did in 1863 in New York, in New York City during the draft riots. Too far back, you say? How about 1919 in Chicago? 1963 in Birmingham, 64 in Philly, 65 in Watch, 66 in Cleveland, 67 in Milwaukee, 68 damn near everywhere. Do you need me to go on? Oh, but you're saying these were race riots in response to civil rights movement. Motherfucker, what do you think? There won't be race riots? You you think blacks and Latinos are just going to let this shit slide while some angry Trumper burns down a black church or shoots a Latino kid? You think Muslim communities are going to sit quietly when terrorized by some alt-right jerk-offs? You think ISIS lone wolves won't jump in on it just for fun? You think the fringe left groups won't go back to their old ways of crafting bombs? and fighting for the workers at the end of a gun. All of this shit happened before, and it can, it will happen again. And peace and tranquility of our society is predicated on people deciding shit is not that bad, so we don't need to fight over it. And while we've had a good 40-odd years of quiet for the old resentments, the old hates are all still there. You think the Klan and Black Lives Matter won't go at each other in the streets if we strip away the veneer of politeness we've managed to paper over our political differences? Civil war. You know how easy it is to start a civil war? How little it actually takes to set one off? In October of 1968, two protest marches were planned by opposing groups along the same route. Everyone knew what would happen if they marched along the same route, so they were banned by the authorities. The groups assembled and defied the order of the police, and they used water cannons and riot cops to violently break them up with a lot of casualties. And this is all televised for the world to see. More protests were called by both sides, and a few months later, massive riots evolved. The local government calls in the army to restore order. Paramilitary groups began arming themselves on both sides of the conflicts. One of the organizers of the original march, the one that started the whole thing, said later, people came up to him right after it happened and said, things will never be the same again. And they were right. This 
incident sparked over 30 years of terrorism and oppression in Northern Ireland, a long and slow war between people of the same nation, same culture, same neighborhoods. The only difference between them is where they prayed. They coexisted for centuries with one another, disagreeing on almost everything, until they crossed a threshold they couldn't pull back from and started killing each other. Trust me when I say, if it can happen there, and our differences make the Irish look like the Olsen twins in comparison, it sure as hell can happen here. You got real dark. People really don't want to think about how close we are to falling apart as a nation. We like to believe we're this eternal thing constructed by God to shine the light of truth and democracy into a dark and bitter world. This is some Madison Avenue high-grade bullshit that came out of a post-World War II America when we thought the good times would never end. You kick some Nazi ass and put the Japs back in their place, smack the Ruskies around and goddamn make a good American car and the good times will just go on and on. The reality is we had about 30 years of riding high and, and then a long, slow decline. We're in unspeakably rich in global terms. We're fortunate enough to live in a time and place where want and need are largely limited to the lowest tiers of our society. But I assure you, the shining city on the hill is riddled with termites and could crumble at the ground at a moment. And all it takes is for someone to kick the foundation in the right place and the whole fucking thing collapses in a big cloud of dust. You're freaking me out. Good, because I want to. The idea of a single identity as American is a fiction. It exists only in the minds of a select subset of white people. For about the first hundred years, Americans were fairly affluent descendants of British colonists who were financially successful Protestants clustered largely along the eastern seaboard. Starting around the end of the 19th century, the subset expanded slightly to include white people in the middle class, still largely Protestant, but if you were rich enough, you might be Catholic, and if you were very rich, you could even be Jewish. In the early 20th century, it got a little easier for poor whites, so long as they were willing to fight in our wars. And starting in the later part of the 20th century, women, persons of colors, gays, transgenders, began the process of forcing open the definition of what it means to be an American just a little wider so they could squeeze in. The difference between this and the previous expansions of American identity is rather than waiting for the established Americans to reluctantly grant permission, as more or less happened in the 19th century, these folks demanded to be included. White people freaked the fuck out because the one shared identity characteristic across religion, language, and social class was the fact that they were white. And let's not bullshit ourselves here. If you're gay and white, you're exponentially better off than being gay in any other thing, any other person of color. I just want to be clear on that before gay people get really upset at me. The reason we are so bitterly fractured along cultural lines is that after 240 years of the fundamental sameness that makes an American an American being white, it's being challenged by people who aren't. And that's why we have fucking Trump. Throughout our history, white people have been more than happy to oppress, 
threaten, kill, and go to war to preserve the defining characteristics of what it means to be an American is being white. And if you don't think there's an element in our country, a larger one than you might wish, that is willing and able to tear down the whole nation to preserve that sense of white identity as a unique necessity to being an American, you are fooling yourself because clearly they exist. They just elected that guy. We can get past this. We have before. We just, as in the past, have to let a bunch of people die off first. And then we have to wait for other people to get so desperate they are willing to do anything to improve their condition. Now, fortunately for the United States, that's happening pretty quickly. Give these fuckers a few years, the young ones will be dead of opioid addiction and the rest from diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Then we can get on with the business of moving forward with the future. And if that sounds harsh, well, hey, you know, it is. Evolution frequently is. Revolutions are infinitely more so. One of my favorite opinionists, Brian Boitler at the New Republic, writes that the Electoral College should just go ahead and go faithless and throw the election to the House. His position is the House would give the election to Trump, but it would undermine his presidency, hobbling him like Annie Potts on five espressos. On the other hand, a lot of other thinkers opine that this is the thing that would finally make us get rid of this annoying hangover of slavery. And they may be right if the election went to Trump. But if you play with this kind of fire, you run the risk of turning into a human torch and then running screaming into a fireworks factory that I call my country. And while, yeah, it would be a hell of a show, but shortly thereafter, the entire fucking thing would burn to the ground. Look, none of this is going to happen, of course. There will be five or six faithless electors who will not affect the election, and a few lawsuits will rattle around the courts before it being dismissed or settled. Trump will take office and proceed to dismantle the country in a slow and manageable pace. Am I meant to find that reassuring? No! I mean, it'll be bad, but we can deal with bad. It won't take long for the Trump tarts to see they just got fucked in the ass without the benefit of lube or even a reach-around. Even the Nazis will soon discover that Trump has no real interest in purifying the American blood taint. He's here to get paid and help others just like him get paid. The circus will go on until the economy tanks or the first of his morons on the cabinet goes to jail for corruption. By the midterms of 2018, the correction should commence and we can start undoing all the dipshit has done. We just need to keep in mind... Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. And that sometimes the treatment causes more damage than the disease. Fucking around with the electoral college right now might cure the disease, but none of that means shit if we die from the side effects. Sometimes the best course is to let it run its course, mitigate the symptoms, and rehabilitate once it's over. It will hurt. We will probably want to die. But we can recover. If we push too hard with radical therapies and our immune systems go haywire and attack the body, then our white blood cells will be carrying AR-15s. Given the choice, given that choice, I would rather have Trump. Oh, God, I can't believe I just had to say that. Oh. 
that is it for our show this week. We want you to know that we're going to run a best of show next week. Uh, that's because it, of course, is Saturnalia. And uh, we're going to be enjoying some time with our friends on the West Coast in Oregon. We're, we will obviously be binding the feet of the statue of Saturn with wool and then placing his vidges on a very comfortable couch. I know that I am looking forward to the sacrifice of a suckling pig with my friends and donning my Peleus and giving over my Sigillaria. We hope that you take the time to gift our humble show with a rating and review on iTunes because it allows other worshippers of Saturn to find us and join in our winter feast. You can hear all of our homilies to Saturn on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast and the show name on Facebook. All of our payons to the deity are at www.whatthehellpodcast.com and the show name on SoundCloud. For me, Dave Bledsoe, producer Gavin, who in honor of Saturnalia will be allowed to mock me at will throughout the festival, keeping in mind his ass is back in the booth once it's over, and all the other fictional Romans on this show, we want to say, we really don't need your civil wars. We'll see you all next week. Peace could last forever